Welcome to episode 875 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, December 17th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm joined by Justin Mason this morning. Justin, good morning, sir. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, we didn't get a lot of news like we had hoped for, so I am I am still kind of starving for some baseball news. But other than that, I can't complain. It's a little cold, but... When isn't it cold for me, you know? <laughs> Our favorite player in baseball, you know, signed a deal. So, I, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about in terms you of use the word news. favorite very interestingly there. Very interestingly. We'll get to him in a moment. We did get a few moves, and, and they carry some intrigue, even in may, maybe not, I wouldn't say shallow leagues, but there could be some impact in, say, 12-teamers. Definitely 15-team and beyond. Type stuff, and then we'll get into some outfield uh, with uh, part one of part one of the outfield look. But let's start with your team making a move, Anthony Desclafani signing with the Giants. Now, I think he's more name than performance at this point. You know, people know him; he's been around for a little bit. But then when you go look at the stats, you're like, oh, okay, that's why he's not generating a ton of excitement. Um, he's a home run machine going. Exactly to the right place? Well, that depends that, on what they're going to do with that outfield. True, but even if it's even if there aren't fans and it plays more friendly, isn't AT&T still better than Great American Ballpark? I would think so. I haven't looked at the exact numbers on the park factors from 2020, but I would assume that San Francisco is still a better place to pitch than uh, Cincinnati. Yeah, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm figuring. So you look, and in 18, 19, and 20, he has a 462 combined ERA in 315 innings, a 1-7 homer nine. And homer sank him in the in the two-month season. He had 33 and two-thirds of a 722 for Descalfani. He had a 389 in 166 and two-thirds back in 19, even though he had a 1.6 homer nine. So, he was kind of skating there a little bit, though, because he cut the hit rate. The walk rate was pretty decent, and he struck out a batter per inning. What do you think? Is, is there upside here to what we've seen from Descalfani, or can he simply get back to a level of, you know, quality that we've seen? Is there is there another is there a new level? Uh, are you excited by this move as a Giants fan for Descalfani? I mean, I am excited because I've been a Descalfani fan for a while. Uh, I don't know that there is another level necessarily i think uh what you're kind of hoping for is something similar to what he did in 2019 which was a strikeout and inning uh keeping the walks you know in check uh and hopefully not letting every ball fly out of the yard so yeah uh, you know you, you're kind of hopeful that that is possible considering the the park change and i mean san francisco did some great things last year with smiley and gosman gosman returned uh, smiley left, so this is your smiley replacement. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing we haven't yet kind of touched on is, I mean, his season and you know much of his career has been ravaged by injuries. So, Definitely. I mean, it, there is obviously a huge gamble uh, in putting this guy on your roster, but we're not talking about a guy that is going to be um, a cornerstone of your rotation. This is a lottery ticket uh, that you're hoping that you know, pays off somewhat well. I mean, he's currently going 593 on NFC. Yeah. I mean, he'll move up because he has a spot, but not that much. I mean, he's still going to be a 50-round draft and hold kind of guy. And I'm not even sure that 15-teamers with seven reserve spots are necessarily going to take that school fight. No, no. He, I he, think, he's I think, waiver wire fodder. I mean, your last pick maybe... Yeah, some leagues will take him, but he will not be 100% taken. I mean, you know, let's say he jumps up 80 spots. That puts him right next to Matt Shoemaker. Who would you rather have, Matt Shoemaker or Descalfani? Hmm, I'm going to say Shoemaker. Yeah, I think I'd go Descalfani, but, I mean, that's super close. Um (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I've got this, you know, strong allegiance to, to the guy who's played in San Francisco for one day. Man, you love him, dude. You're here's a, here's a guy I wouldn't take over Descalfani going right in that same area is Austin Gomber. 
Oh, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I'd be taking Gomber as well. Does he... Well, we don't know what they're going to do with uh, Wainwright. Yeah. So we don't really know what their rotation's it panning out. It feels like, with the news coming out of St. Louis, that they're not going to re-sign some of these guys that we just kind of expected. Uh, would well, they got Wayno and Molina. Molina's now, been tied back? to uh, the Nationals recently. Yeah, they don't seem to be hard pushing for him. Supposedly they like offered him something Nizer. super insulting. Oh. Well, I mean, he's like, what, 40 already? I don't know. Yeah, I looks like Austin Bomber should have a spot, although it would be it would be in peril, I think, if they brought back Wainwright. They got Flaherty, Kong Young Kim, Carlos Martinez, Miles Michaelis, and Gomber. And Dakota Hudson. And Daniel Ponce de Leon. And, no, no, Dakota Hudson got TJ. Oh, oh that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, for the whole year. So, But they got Ponce de Leon as a six. I know our boy Nick Pollock likes him a decent bit. So, yeah, I don't know that they really need Wainwright. So it's it's like, do they want to bring back the legacy players? But if they're not going to do anything, you know? Gomber becomes much more interesting. Yeah, I, I think maybe I think maybe one gets brought back now between Wayno and Molina. I don't know. It doesn't seem like both are coming. So, anyway, that's Dan, Anthony Descalfani. Um I think we gave give you a good idea on the league type to consider him. It's got to be pretty deep. A little bit of upside from where he's being drafted, but nothing that's going to probably not make him probably not going to make him break your league. He's mostly going to be a streamer. That's you know. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. But if you know if he cuts the homers, that's that's the big thing. Is if he gets somehow, if he massively cuts the homers, I think everything changes. Um, but Rafael Montero coming over from Texas to Seattle here, I wondered why they didn't trade him last year. Um, you know he's not young; he's thirty, and he was really good, not just last year, but also in nineteen. You know, he had 29 quality innings in 19 and, you know, was was solid this year. Had a little bit of a high ERA at 408, but only 17 and two-thirds. 26% strikeout rate, um, you know, throws 96. You know, was a one-time solid second half of the top 100 uh, MLB prospect. I remember liking him as a starter with the Mets and then didn't really pan out health. Has certainly been an issue. He only has one season. Well, before he turned to relieving, only one season over 100 innings. It was 119. So he goes the relief route, and he's been great with Texas. Uh, so now he goes over to Seattle. I don't think it's like a guaranteed closer role immediately, but I think he's the leader in the clubhouse because I'm looking at everything else they've got. Like. I, that's still that's who I'm drafting. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm drafting Montero as Seattle's closer. What do you think? Yeah, I think he's probably first man up, but I, I don't think that there's necessarily any reason to think that he, you know, is entrenched in that role by any sense. I mean, they, they've got Kendall Graveman. Uh, they've got uh, they just added Kenyon Middleton. Uh, I think today yep. or yesterday uh, as well. So. I mean, I think it could likely be a fluid situation, but man, that bullpen is not great. And Montero has been pretty good the last two years, so it would not surprise me if he got the majority of the saves. Question is, how good do we think Seattle's going to be? Yeah, and I don't really see them as a powerhouse. I do feel like they might not be awful, though. Yeah, I don't think they'll be awful. I mean, that offense is starting to come together, especially, I know you well, believe they, in a Dylan Moore bounce back, or not bounce back, but uh, continuation. Yeah, uh, I think he's got an opportunity. And I think Evan White can be a lot better. Yeah, Evan White should bounce back. I mean, he uh, he can't be any worse than he was offensively last year. Uh, yeah. They know it's Ty France. going to be an everyday player uh, for them. I like their starting rotation, too. I think there's... Some been some development there that's interesting. So yeah, I I don't know. Little mid tier sort of closer. I think I think if you wait on closing on on closers, he could be a nice one that uh, you get. I, I I could actually see him saving twenty five thirty on this Seattle team. Yeah, I mean it's definitely possible if, if they're going to give him the role. 
Um, and I mean, I know there was some people kind of being like, oh, Kendall Graveman's a sneaky closer, but yeah, I don't know Where'd that, that come I, from, I don't way. I don't know if I understand that very much. Um, I, I don't. I want I want to say I could be wrong. Maybe it was. Uh, I think it was our very own Michael Simeone, the SP streamer, oh, okay. uh, talking about that. There's an article, he, he's the top article there on uh, on the Fangrass page. So um, I don't know. I mean, guys with you know sub you know eight per nine walk rates or uh, strikeout mm-hmm. rates don't tend to close. So I'd be I'd be pretty Montero would have to be pretty bad, I think, for Graveman to get the next shot. Yeah. And of course, Michael wrote that article before Montero yeah. got there, so I'm sure he feels differently now about the Seattle situation for sure. But check out that article he did late round closers to watch it in a couple different parts. There's definitely some interesting guys there because the closing pool is wild this year. Oh, I mean, especially if you're doing a draft and hold right now, it's I mean, it's insane once you get past the, like maybe top ten guys. Mm-hmm. You're just seriously just taking you know dart throws. It's it's crazy how quickly that starts to happen, where it's just like, okay, I'll just go with this guy, I guess. This is why the top tier gets pushed up so high. It it needs to because especially as we go more toward teams going with whomever, you know, not 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 locking in on one guy and bouncing around, that's wreaking havoc on fantasy. It's the optimal way to run a bullpen. Mm-hmm. But it's not the optimal way for fantasy. <laughs> All right, Mike Zanino re- resigns Tampa Bay. Yay! Force this on the agenda. For what reason? I mean, he's gonna play, right? So yeah, I know it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not anything special or something you necessarily want on your fantasy team, especially considering he hasn't hit above two hundred one since 2017 um but you don't need to remind me yeah <laughs> oh that's right that was the year you uh made the bet uh that he he wouldn't hit what above 250 and he hit 251 it seemed like moving the easiest, on easiest money in the world um yeah it, and it should have been because it's the only time in his career he's hit above two uh 214 so i mean mike zanino yeah. sucks but he's gonna play and so in like a draft and hold if he's your, you know, fourth catcher, and I, you know, I told you before we started recording, I did. I drafted him yesterday in a fifty-round drafted hold because uh, you want to have just a warm body at catcher. It, yes. Uh, and Sunina will play as long as he's healthy. I think four catchers is the right play in fifty round. Um, it just, I know sometimes when he's playing, particularly in twenty nineteen. Maybe a zero is better. Um, and he, even 2020, I mean, he had 147. He had 167 the year before. But if you're like, you know, I'll take anything. I'll take my my four homers and 10 ribbies from this year, my nine and 32 last year. If you're like, I'll just take anything, then he's a good fourth catcher. What a sick role to be in. Fourth catcher. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I don't know why you like that guy so much. <laughs> I just like um, that he tortures you. He does. He does indeed because of that season. I I cannot. Uh, I was separating a fool from his money so easily. Turns out I was the I was but the fool. <laughs> awful, awful, awful. Anyway, let's talk outfield. It is time. Get into some outfield today. And uh, we'll start at the very top. And because there are four guys going, first off, they're all threatening for number one. Three of the four have gone one. The other's gone two as a, as a min. Um, and then they're, they're, they're firmly first round. Uh, their ADPs range from one to six. And I'm curious who your, your absolute favorite anchor is with that, with that very early pick between Ronald Acuna Jr., Mookie Betts, Juan Soto and Mike Trout. And are you, well, no, go ahead and answer that first. Who's your favorite anchor there if you get one of those top three picks? I mean, I'm, I, I've said this over and over again. I'm hoping not to get a top three pick in, in just about every league this year because, I mean, this is really splitting hairs. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And then you start adding the other guys going in the top, you know, 10. And, like, I can make arguments for everybody yeah. uh, going, you know, in the top 10, 11 picks. So, like, I really like drafting an 8 and feeling like, okay, I'm going to have a better idea of the guy I really want. I think the guy I would go with is Mookie. Um, Me too. Just because that lineup behind him is so good. Um, and, I mean, he's he's obviously so good too. But you get power, you get speed, and then just the amount of runs scored uh, and safe batting average you're going to get from Mookie Betts. I think that makes him my number one uh, player, but yeah, I, I tend, really hope I, I don't have you. that decision. I tend to agree with you there um, on on the pick part too, because talent is so strong up top there. I'd rather get an earlier second round pick. Mm-hmm. You and, pretty and much go. look for where the drops are in the second and third round that you want, and position mm-hmm. yourself uh, in the first round accordingly. Yep, I think that's exactly the right way to play it. I mean, if if you get a top three pick, you're not uh, you're not to be pitied. You're still getting just an immense superstar to anchor your team. And like you said, it's not just Alpha. There's a couple other guys up there that you can consider. Are you surprised that Juan Soto has passed Mike Trout in ADP despite never going first? I'm not. Do you um, agree with that? I'm very torn on it. I think it's I think it's fine. I don't think like I'm not going to beat up anybody who makes that decision. Um, oh, I thought we were going to go beep some people. <laughs> I have a really hard time with Mike Trout being the fourth or fifth player off the board. Like that just seems uh, super weird. But like there are just amazing talents within within uh, baseball and fantasy baseball. Uh, and there is some huge concerns about whether or not Trout runs. Uh, I mean, he only stole one base on on two attempts uh, in 2020. Uh, The previous season in 2019, he he stole 11 bases on uh, 13 attempts. So, I mean, the the ratio in terms of, you know, steals versus caughts being caught is still fantastic, but... He's just not running as much, and so I totally understand uh, people not wanting to um, not wanting to spend a top three or top four pick on Mike Trout, uh, especially Man. considering he's missed games. Uh, I mean, he hasn't played hundred, you know, more than one hundred and forty games since two thousand and sixteen. I still have a hard. I mean, he's still the like the best player talent-wise in baseball to me. And so mm-hmm. uh, I do have a hard time with that. Uh, but again, one of those things where that's why I like picking at kind of 7, 8, 9 is usually that decision is made for me, either Soto or Trout's off the board. I've gotten Soto at 8, um, but I haven't I haven't been in a draft yet where Mike Trout makes it to that, that far. His, his max is 10. That's crazy. So he, has, he has made it down there. Um, and then I actually did, I changed it just now to kind of look at it with the cutoff being from uh, December 1st, and now he's only gone as high as four. Yeah. So he hasn't even, you know, the the, the default when you go to the ADP, ADP page for NFC is you back to October, October 1st. Yeah. Yeah. So if you lop off the last two months and, and just go with December, he's ranging four to ten, which, um, boy, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. I, I, I still feel so great taking him. I understand the speed concern, but the, the the height of his floor for just raw offense mm-hmm. is obscene. It's obscene. So, um, I, yeah, I'm still very comfortable taking him. Uh, let's let's at least uh, talk about Acuna here. Uh, he seems he's pretty close to the consensus number one. Uh, Betts is sneaking in there from time to time. And uh, Fernando Tatis is creeping right there as well, uh, as far as bringing in the the other positions. But as far as Acuna is the number one overall pick, obviously we, I don't think we have any issues with it. But where, where do you where do you stand on Acuna coming into this season? I mean, what we saw in 2020 is kind of the floor, right? It's a guy who's still going to have power and speed, 
but maybe the batting average isn't as strong as it's been in his you know first two full seasons. So mm-hmm. uh, I think he is what he is. I mean, as long as he's healthy, I think he's going to deliver a ton of power and a ton of speed. And if you're a player like me uh, that doesn't care that much about batting average, um, you know, in, in non-overall uh, competitions, uh, Acuna is a, is a fine first overall pick. Um I think the the question becomes if he, you know, is he more of a 250 hitter or is he more of a 280, 290 hitter like we've seen in the past? Um, or is he somewhere in the middle? And uh, I tend to want to think he's probably a 270 guy, but with 40 home runs and 25 to 30 steals. I think he goes 40-40. 40-40? I mean, he was three steals away from it in 2019. Oh. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to bet on that, but if he did, that would be amazing, and that would make him worthy of the first overall pick, no matter where <laughs> yeah, his batting so. average is. <laughs> I think so. Um, I think he would need, you know, not not necessarily need, but it would certainly help uh, to have those extra base hits to to get the stolen base attempts. Mm-hmm. So he should... Uh, Any concern about yeah, health with him? He's now been banged up in two of his first three seasons. Maybe a, a little, not, not enough for me to alter the draft stock, no. No. I mean, he's probably my number two overall player. Maybe number three, buying Turner. So, I mean, or, uh, hitter. Hitter, that is. Because I, I, yeah, I'm yeah, probably yeah. taking Cole or DeGrom if I'm in the top three. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I'm open to that, too, by the way. We will discuss that when we get to the starting pitcher for sure. Um. But yeah, I mean, just a great four pack there. It's it's hard not to love the the whole group. Uh, let's go to a couple of buybacks next because the market has not really soured on them. And I'm curious where you stand on Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger. Who's your favorite between those those buybacks? Uh, Yelich is a little bit more expensive at a, a, around ADP 11, while Bellinger's at 16, just outside the first round. But that means he lives in the first round a lot. So who, who do you like better there as somebody to to, to buy back in on? I mean, it's Christian Yelich, uh, and it, it's largely due to the health on Ballinger. You know, he's he's had that offseason shoulder surgery. We don't know uh, exactly when he's going to be ready, or you know what he's going to look like once he is. So, I think the safer player of the two is Christian Christian Yelich. And if you had told me one hitter in the top or in the first round is going to disappoint you in twenty twenty. And you had like a draft of who was most likely to disappoint you. Like Yelich would have been the last answer. Oh my God! Yes. Like, like and so I mean, no way. You I'm, know, I'm kind of throwing out 2020, uh, and and kind of willing to take the shot, uh, especially if you're able to get him kind of towards the back half of that first round. Yeah, they just. Uh, it was really stunning to see him struggle like that, and. It's that it's that awakening, that that rude awakening that literally any, any guy can struggle, anybody. That that's that's the cruelty of baseball, and so now you have to get snapped back into that reality that nobody's invincible. Because sometimes when these superstars are in the midst of their excellence, you're like, "Whoa, this guy cannot be stopped." Look at how stable this profile is, and then all of a sudden, it, in Yelich's case, the strikeout rate raises 11 points. To 31 percent uh he amped up his walks to go with it though he's walking 19 percent so you know he was counterbalancing it as the best he could obviously he was a far cry from 18 19 he did still end up with a plus season with a 112 wrc plus but a massive massive fantasy disappointment with a 205 average 12 homers four steals and that's why folks are staying they're staying bought in though i think everyone realizes not to overrate that and so you're barely getting a discount off of it, which is frustrating, but it's frustrating because it's the right thing. It's it's smart, and sometimes you get mad when the market makes the right move. You're like, okay, damn, I really wanted to take advantage of that. Now, on the Bellinger side, he hits 239, um, you know, even worse than we saw in, in the, the 18 season. That was a bit down. 12 homers, 6 steals, coming off of his MVP season when he decided to change his swing for some reason. 
Boy, man, I cannot, for the life of me, figure out who thought that was a good idea. Uh, I can't imagine I it was anybody on the Dodgers, right? I mean... Man, I hope not. I mean, whoever it was, you fire them immediately. What if it was Bellinger? You fire... No. <laughs> you fire him. You straight into the Giants is what you do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Punish mm-hmm. him. Punish him. Uh-huh. Uh, Punish I mean, him on the Tigers. Banish him to Detroit. I'm I'm a little wary of Bellinger just because uh, of the shoulder. And, I mean, he did have... It, you know, there are a few guys where it's like, oh, he had a, he really, really struggled in in 2020, but he got to the postseason and he was just himself. And you're like, okay, I feel like I can buy in. But, I mean, you know, he still hit for power in the postseason, but he hit 212. And obviously it's a 76, you know, plate appearance sample. So you don't, you want to, you know, glean even less from it than you do from a 243 plate appearance season yeah. or a sample. I'm, he would not be a guy I'm willing to take in the top 20 right now. Obviously, we see him healthy, and that, that'll change. Well, yeah, because the shoulder's concern, and we saw it agitated during a celebration, remember, with Kike yeah. Hernandez. And then apparently he dealt with it th- throughout the rest of the season at that point, throughout the rest of the playoffs. The old school players are right. Don't celebrate. It hurt you. <laughs> there you go. You know? they, they win. Goose Gossage just smiling at home yeah. about how correct he was. Yeah, Brian Dozier um, is is uh, yeah feeling pretty good about himself right now. Brian McCann mm-hmm. reads the news of. <laughs> Never mind. I was going to make a really inappropriate joke. Uh, I'll stop. Anyway, yes, and we saw it in the World Series though, and not that he was great in the LCS. Like he had uh, the two homers and triple. Like he had some key hits. And he was walking, but he only hit like 200. But he had 355 OBP and 520. So like, then in the World Series, 136, 208, 273. And I know small sample and series to series, but you can't tell me that the shoulder wasn't playing a role. The fact, the fact that you know he was playing with it out in the field after that, like they were, they were like talking to each other. Like, yeah, dude, when when we did that, that really hurt. And it was obvious that it was ailing him. So. That does leave me a little nervous with him. I, I totally agree on, on Bellinger there and the nerves surrounding it. I would not take him, just expanding it out quickly and showing the guys around him. You've got Freeman and Bauer just, just above him, and then Lindor and Darvish uh, behind him. So that's the four-pack sandwich around him. I would definitely take Freeman and Lindor, and I'd probably take both pitchers. The question becomes, are you taking Bo Bichette? I was just about to ask that. Harper I asked and the Machado. Questions. Son of a bitch. I'm just kidding. Um, and, you know, and throw Mondesi in there because a lot of people will take Mondesi over mm-hmm. him. Would you? At this point, uh, Mondesi, I mean, ugh. I'm I'm taking Harper over okay. him right now. Yeah, we're going to get to him in a moment. Um, you're taking so you you would flip at least Harper and Bellinger at this point. Yeah, I'm taking Machado. Okay, I'm torn on Bichette and Mondesi, but the okay. fact that it's even discussion says a lot. It's it says you're very clearly not taking Bellinger where he's being drafted. No, and you would drop him a good half round, six to seven spots. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's probably fair. Yeah. Okay, and listen, I am fine with that. I, I really think I really think he should be cheaper based on the shoulder right now. And I mean, then the shoulder and the, the season. To, yeah, I mean to move up. Well yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. it was just but the they, shoulder they go hand in hand. Yeah, I mean but if it was just the shoulder and we're like we know he's gonna be healthy coming into twenty twenty, I'd still be worried about his swing change. <laughs> like Yeah, whatever the still... hell. Maybe, maybe it was a shoulder compensation swing change though. It might have been. Because this this is not a new shoulder issue. No, and he, he mentioned that, that this is something he's dealt with uh, kind of off and on for a long time, and anybody who's got shoulder problems uh, like I do, uh, like Jason's talked about having, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, they can be just a real pain in the ass off and on, uh, you know, when they flare up. So, I'm, I don't know, I, I, I think I'm out on Bellinger just for right now, and then once we get to whatever spring training is going to look at, or look like, um, I may, you know, push him back up towards the back end of the first round. 
Yeah, I, I kind of wish he was sitting in the 30s with the opportunity to move up and not 15. Because then he's going to be like 9 if he shows up healthy. He's still going to get that boost, but it's going to be from from 15 to 9 instead of from 30 to 15. You know, so and yeah, you start pushing him up over guys like Story or Jose Ramirez, and I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not. I'm not going to take him over those two. And I will say, you know, he did run. He did run in 20, so he put up another six steals. So that's pretty good. That's keeping him on his, you know, 15 pace type deal. So all that was still in order. Um, There's just a little bit of nervousness about the shoulder and the fact that. You know, if he if he has to compensate for it on his swing, are we gonna are we gonna get more of an eighteen type season, which is not gonna kill you even at fifteen, but not at all what you want. When he had twenty five homers, seventy six ribbies, fourteen steals, eighty four runs, and a two sixty average. So that's Bellinger. We're out on him. We're we're in on buying back Yelich for sure, even at his price. Let's talk Harper. And I think I know your answer based on what you said here. Is is has. Bryce Harper become slightly underrated, perhaps? I think he has. He's gone from, like, the most overrated player in baseball to one of the most underrated. Uh, and the interesting thing is, is his ADP hasn't really changed. It's just that now I think his performance is just not being fully appreciated. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I think, I mean, this is one of those, what Matthew Berry uh, phrases, like, the hate has just gone too far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, he's he put up 13 home runs, eight stolen bases. I mean, he hit 268. So it's you know, I mean, he's not like winning you a league with his average or anything, but uh, you know, but he's certainly not hurting you either. No, he's like, not. Like 268 is fine. And I mean, the previous two seasons in 2019 and 2018, uh, he hit 34, 35 home runs, stole 13 or 15 bases. Like, that is a perfectly great second-round player. Yep. Um, and, he, and he was two runs away from going 100-100 in both of those mm-hmm. seasons. I just, I mean, I think he's just completely solid and uh, probably should be going a few picks higher. And, uh, I mean, what's his max pick right now? Let's see. Um, duh, duh, his max pick, max pick is 30. Imagine starting, like, Acuna Harper. I would um, love that. You know, um, you know, Cunha Harper, Aaron Nola type thing, or Cunha Harper, Luis Castillo. From, Dang, from yeah, that would spot. be. So, I mean, that that is the nice part about drafting first is you get those two picks in that set, or the, those two picks in the second, third, which can just be all studs. Yeah, it's still some real heat coming back to mm-hmm. you there. Um, so that that's why you know. No one's crying for you if you get that early pick. We just we just want to get that earlier second pick, personally, you and I. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you 100% on Harper, and I just feel like people are still living in this idea that he's not that good, and it's primarily tied to the, you know, like you said, uh, not over-the-top batting averages, 268, 260, the 249, too. But even that, don't let the 249 obscure the 34, 113, and 103, like, I get it. It wasn't a great average, but there's so much focus on what he doesn't do when, whenever something isn't there, that people miss what he is doing. You know, even in 2017, there was missed time, and he he only had four steals. Okay, well he hit 29 homers in 111 games and hit 319. It's like, I know he hit 242 uh, all the way back in 16, but he was 2020, and so he's always giving you something. And it's about that floor with Harper for me that keeps me drafting him all the time. I, I love drafting Bryce Harper. I still think he's an absolute monster. I think there's another MVP season somewhere. Yeah, I and really I was do. just about to say that. I mean, he's shown the ability to put it all together in a single season a few times. Uh, I mean, you know, you look at uh, twenty, you know, what is 20, uh, 2015 season, like, that isn't unattainable for a guy like Harper with no. how hard he hits the ball. Uh, he can get some bad bit luck and all of a sudden you're getting a guy who, you know, is 40, 15 with a 300 batting average one year and, and you're absolutely stoked. So, 
you know, exactly. it's a really safe floor, but still a ton of upside. And that's why I continue to draft him, and that's why I think Bryce Harper is a little bit underrated. Who's your favorite? Uh, who's the best young stud here that you like with Kyle Tucker, Luis Robert, and Eloy Jimenez all uh, in a little three pack of outfielders here, ranging from picks 32 to uh, 39? And there's actually a veteran mixed in there with them who we'll get to in a moment. But what do you think of Tucker, uh, Robert, and Jimenez? Who, who would you draft there if you're, if you're looking at an early 30s pick? I've gone back and forth on Tucker and Jimenez. Uh, I've I've already taken Jimenez in I think two drafts and taken Tucker in one. Uh, when they were in, in all three of those spots, they were they were all or they were both available or all three guys were available. Um, I think Eloy is safer. Uh, you know what he's done in his first two seasons has been absolutely amazing and kind of as advertised. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I mean, Tucker has the speed component that just gives him that better upside. Um, and now is, you know, now that Houston has let their entire outfield go, there's no one to block him anymore. So, uh, I mean, He's completely locked in now. You, you have a potential 30 30 player here. In, in oh, Tucker. Yeah. And no, so I, 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 agree. I agree. I lean Tucker because of that huge upside. Uh, but I have gone back and forth on on both of them. Yeah, I I'm there too. I, I like Tucker better, but Jimenez Jimenez has that 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 simmering um, like three ten, three twenty, forty, you know, one twenty type of season bubbling underneath, like where you just goes off and then the White Sox have this huge season so his runs and ribbies are through the roof and I'm excited by that quite a bit too and you don't need a damn steal at all when you, when you get stuff like that and so um, it's hard not to love what Jimenez has done and then there's Robert who you know got off to a fast start everyone's like this is why he was taken where he was taken and then he wound up hitting 233, 302, 436 with 11 homers and nine steals. He was not bad. Um, he was I mean, bad, though, in September. Like, he was. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, but the bottom line was not bad. Mm-hmm. But I feel justified in, in pushing back and not wanting to take him where he was. I do, too. Um, I mean, we just we did not know. Uh, how he was going to be able to handle major league pitching and uh, what we saw in September, I think was proof that like pitchers adjusted to him and he d- probably didn't have enough time to adjust back. You know, I'm not going to say he yeah. couldn't because um, I, I don't think that would be fair, but we're talking about in September, he hit 136, 237, 173. That was his triple slash with a 34 strikeout rate yeah he, he was saved by putting up five steals in that month and otherwise it was really rough he and Kyle Lewis by the way uh really faded down the stretch there they, they had interesting season trajectory there um so I don't think Robert's ADP is egregious at 34 but I would take his own teammate ahead of him and I don't know. I, I might even take one of the upcoming veterans ahead of him. I don't know, man. I, I'm still a little, a little less enthused with Robert than I think the general consensus. Yeah, I, I mean, love power speed though. So I it, do. It, I, I love the power I'm speed. Not and uh, I mean, I it's, I've been in drafts where he's fallen, and I've gone, "Ooh, I, I should I should pull the trigger right here," and and I just haven't done it yet. I mean, he's gone his, his latest 48th. And you start getting down there and you start going, okay, would you rather have him or Starling Marte? Would you rather have him than Marcelo Zuna? And I think that's a, an interesting conversation. I still put him behind those two guys, but I understand the desire to, to, to bust him up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, so that's that, uh, that interesting trio of young outfielders there. 
you're certainly not going wrong with a pick from from any of the, for any of the three. Let's go with a SB focused veteran and who you prefer between Whit Merrifield and Starling Marte. Merrifield is by the one who squeezes in with Tucker Robert and Jimenez in those early thirty ADP range. I mean, this is one of those situations where I go, I want both. <laughs> I love both these guys and have for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's kind of hard to pick between the two. I'm, I'm usually just grabbing whichever one is left on the board at this time. I I lean Merrifield because I think the stolen base numbers could be better. Um especially with just how much the Royals ran in 2020. Uh, you know, this the big concern with the Royals was Mike Matheny's coming in, and, and, and I was one of the people saying this, like, the Cardinals did not steal under Mike Matheny. Um, but they did a ton. You know, the Royals did steal a ton. And the Marlins yeah. stole a ton, too. I mean, the Marlins That's were the thing. second most amount of pieces of baseball. Full, full year on the Marlins for Marte, and... You know, I think I think Jeff had had found something about Matheny, you know, that said if he's got the talent, he, he can run with them, and and he did. And Marte, or excuse me, and Merrifield, you know, wasn't wasn't amazing, but still had a really good season. I think his floor, he's really found an established high floor. He had nine homers, twelve steals, um, two eighty two average. And 30, 30 ribbies, 38 runs. Yeah, I just, yeah, even at age 32, I don't really see Merrifield completely falling off. I think there's an, a nice established floor there that I can buy. Uh, I love Marte, though. So I think between the two, I'm still taking Marte. But I can't go, to me, I can't go wrong. And if I get in a position where I'm like, I need steals, and there's both of them left, and I have, I'm a pick away, I feel great that I will either have my choice made for me or get the option between the two because, I think it's really nice that you can get a, a potential 2030 guy. And both these guys can go 2030. I think the question becomes what is more important to you? Do you want the power upside from Marte? Because Marte has shown the ability uh, to hit 20 plus bombs, you know, in 18 and 19. Or do you want the, the injury safety from Merrifield? Because Merrifield has, I mean, he played in 60, all 60 games this last year. All 162 in 19, 158 in 2018, 145 in 17, where Marte, I mean, he, he racks up the plate appearances, but he missed, you know, half a season with a suspension. Uh, he's been banged up quite a bit throughout his career. He played in 61 games. He's the only player to play, play in 61 60 games in 20. Games. <laughs> Dude, that's impressive. Yeah. I got 61 for you. Uh, yeah, so he, he played in, you know, 61 games because he was uh, traded mid-season, but there's still, I think, some injury risk to Marte. I tend to lean... It's so hard, because I love Starling Marte, uh, but I I do tend to lean uh, Whit Merrifield. It's a good duo, for sure, and uh, you know, both will be little speed oasis... Oasises? I don't know. Oasai, yeah. I don't know. We're going to go with Oasai. I like that better. Um, That you can find here in this... uh, you know, third, fourth round range, third round range with those two. Also got a couple of power guys. So if you're a little, little light on, on just raw, aggressive home runs, got two guys here to close this out. Aaron Judge versus Marcelo Zuna. Now, Marcelo Zuna does not have a squad yet. No one's particularly concerned that he'll find one, though. Um, he may separate a bit here. And he, they're already a little bit separated at, at 48 and 54. Uh, they may uh, – wait, excuse me, that's um, – they're 46 and, and 54 between Ozuna and Judge. And Ozuna may jump up another few spots once he has a team. But uh, I felt pairing them isn't isn't terrible, even though they are a little bit uh, split, because that's what, you're, that's what you're getting is that big power uh, with batting average upside, too. Both, both can hit 300 uh, when they're on, especially. We saw Ozuna play out of his mind. He was incredible going into his free agency. Meanwhile, Judge, when he played, you loved it, but it was 28 games and 102 and 112, and we've got a pattern here. So I imagine you're going to bring up that that injury history, but is it enough to say that at their price, do you prefer 
even a more expensive Ozuna? Uh, I do prefer a more expensive Ozuna, but I doubt either of these guys end up on my team at their current prices. Okay. Um, I mean, Judge, it's all about injury. If if we could turn off injuries uh, on Judge, yeah, pick. yeah, I mean, there there's an argument for him to be going, you know, end of the first round. Um, and, and maybe even higher than that because, I mean, this is a guy, I mean, look at his 2017. I mean, 52 home runs, nine stolen bases, 284, uh, you know, 120 runs, 14 RPIs. I mean, he Gross. he can be a monster when he's healthy. He just, he hasn't been healthy since 2017. Mm-hmm. And that and it's is... it's been severe missed time. Yeah. I mean, so, like, if you're playing in a shallower league... Like you, you can you can take him where he's going, or even bump him up a little bit because there's going to be replacement level on the waiver wire. But if you're playing in a 15 team league, uh, I mean, even a 12 team league becomes uh, a little bit more difficult because of what's left on the waiver wire. It's just so hard to draft him, um, you know. And he, yeah, I, he, he could be I one of those guys. Yeah, he could be one of those guys that like he stays healthy, he and does what he does when he's healthy. Um, which is be a monster, uh, and you like know. his teammate Stanton. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's the parallels are, are they're just too they're just too stark to ignore, especially with them being teammates. I mean, we saw that with Stanton, seventy four games in fifteen, one hundred nineteen games in sixteen, and he hit twenty seven homers in both of them. I mean, that that's really eerie because. But Stanton's going one hundred thirty one. No, no, no. But I'm talking about Stanton. Around that time, mm-hmm. he was going right around here because people still believed and they couldn't quite push him down too far. And then what happened? He spiked back to back fully healthy seasons, won an MVP, and was excellent in 18 as well. And so, you know, we've we already seen Judge's eight, first MVP candidate season, but I, I certainly think that with health, another one could be. Could be right there. And it's funny because he has two injury-shortened seasons where he hit 27 home runs, just like Stanton. Uh, That's exactly what he hit in in 18 and 19. I will say this, and you mentioned the shallow league aspect, which I totally agree with on on Judge. At least when he's playing, he's crushing it for you. So you're getting that foundation, and then you're getting to replace replace him for missed games. So that roster spot, you know, especially in shallower leagues, it's still producing for you. Now, in deeper leagues, that's where it can be so tough. Is or, or if you're playing, judge. yeah, or if you're playing in NFBC, where like you can't hold injured players forever. Yeah, then then he becomes that that albatross of, you know, will he won't he as far as coming back and do we hold him and that can be a pain in the butt. And if you don't want to deal with that, then just don't even draft him. Don't even draft judge at that point, and you don't have to worry about it. So. Um, I don't think I'll be having him. Ozuna, I probably won't be either because I do think he's going to go up once he finds a landing spot, and I'd rather not pay any sort of premium coming off of his best season. I think he is good, like very, very good. Like I, I don't; those twelve steals from nineteen were hilariously misguided, and, <laughs> and uh, I mean, you know, he went twelve for fourteen. Good on him, but that's not. That's not part of his game, and he had zero this year, showing like, okay, yeah, yeah I was, I was. He had zero attempts. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, just yeah, zero didn't stolen. even try. Yeah, he, he, he didn't he even just, try. He got uh, to first base, and he was like, nah, I'm good. Nah, and and most of the time he wasn't stopping at first base, and that's why he wasn't bothered with stealing because he was hitting homers and doubles. I mean, the dude was just absolutely mashing. He'll find a spot, and I'll, I'll kind of assess from there. But I also am not, am not super hot on drafting him. Uh, off the career year and going to a new team. Like, that's kind of a double whammy there that you're probably best off avoiding with Ozuna, yeah? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, I just... The price, to me, is is a little bit... I mean, actually, the price isn't bad, but you've got guys who... But that's but that's pre, pre-signing price. It yeah. will go up. So yeah, I mean, but he's going right in front of Starling Marte. Like, I... I just can't. Like, Starling Marte fills up too many more stat categories. Yeah, and if unless you had, like, specific need, 
Mm-hmm. I think I'm going Marte more or less every time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess if you started off like, let's say you start off Trey Turner and then you go pitcher uh, in a, you know, a Lucas Giolito. It's like I really want to add to my power right now because I don't know what kind of power output Turner's going to give me, and I, I've got a pitcher, and people have already loaded up. In, in that in that scenario, you're looking okay, you know, Ozuna becomes a much more intriguing option, but you've also got a lot of those intriguing options there as well in Endeavors, in Eloy, um, yeah. in Judge. So I, th- I think it, it's it's going to be unlikely that Ozuna ends up on many of my teams, but I'm not avoiding him. Totally agree. To- totally agree with all that. Um, all right. I think that's going to wrap us up on part one of the outfield. We obviously have tons more to cover, so I think we'll do 32 parts mm-hmm. on the outfield. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll we'll be doing outfield through February, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll have to make sure it doesn't go too long, then uh, we'll take a, you know, take a little break on positional reviews and then fire them right back up. Uh, after the new year when things start to settle a bit. But Justin, I will talk to you again on Thursday. Until then, take care. Take it easy.